Welcome to Kevin Connors podcast. This series of messages on the book of Ezekiel were recorded in Malaysia in August 2010. Be sure to get a copy of Kevin's newly released commentary on the book of Ezekiel, available in paperback and ebook formats from Amazon.com and as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org forward slash shop. Okay, let's all gather together again for a few moments. How many are tired? <laughs> Wait till you get to my age. Okay, I've tried to group the uh, questions a bit, so uh, let's go back to the first session a bit, because uh, a lot of these are sort of inter- interrelated here on uh, uh, beginning a new generation. So based on Ezekiel 18, individual responsibility accountability, does unsafe parents, children, who died at birth or before birth, go to heaven. Personally, I believe they do. I believe there's something in the atonement I, I just don't understand on the basis of the whole Bible that uh, children, uh, children who are aborted or uh, premature or whatever, we, my wife and I, we lost a, a baby between our son, our daughter Mar- uh, Sharon and son Mark, so I believe they go to heaven. Um, I can only say this quickly because I, I don't want to keep you too late. Uh, I'm tired and you're tired. <laughs> How many are brain tired? <laughs> what do you think happened to my brain? It's fried. Okay. Um, in, in the Old Testament, there was a case very briefly, and I can give you the scripture later on if you ask me if you need it, uh, where a wicked king and a wicked queen had a baby child. We don't know what the age of the child was, but the child fell sick. And so the wicked king said to his wife, I want you to disguise yourself and go to the prophet and ask God what will become of the child. So when, he get, when she gets there, uh, the prophet is given a word of knowledge from God and says, come in and names the, the lady, the queen, and says, why do you disguise yourself to be someone else? And he said, the child that is born to you is going to die. And then listen to the last part. It says, because in him there is some good thing towards the Lord. So it was the mercy of God in that case that let that baby die. Otherwise it would have been brought up under a wicked king and a wicked queen. And God only knows what would have happened. So God knows. And I think something there. So personally, I believe that unless people have committed abortions and so forth, and I've had to deal with them, unless... uh, they're going to be so sad when they stand before the Lord and see their baby that they are born in heaven. So they need to get right with God. So that's my personal belief. Jesus said, suffer little children to come to me for such is the kingdom of heaven. Um, uh, yeah, uh, same again, individual responsibility, accountability. How about the newborn son of King David? Yes, it was the mercy of God that took the child away. It was also punishment on David, on David pardon me. Um, what about generational curse? Okay, that one there. There's a few of that. Uh, there's uh, two or three. People always talk about generational curses, such as hereditary diseases, certain repeated misfortunes are curses like they've broken automatically uh, when a person accepts Christ. I, I think, as I understand it, or do we have to pray specifically to break these curses? I think, as I understand it, uh, it depends on the situation. I don't like to give, say, a flat answer. I think some people, particularly in our Western world, have been involved in Masonic lodges and uh, where they've invoked curse upon themselves and their unborn children. I think in some cases they are. 
but I think maybe they do need prayer uh, to break that curse. But I believe once we come to Christ, we can break that curse in Christ because Jesus, uh, it says, uh, cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree and he delivered us from the curse of the law. So curses were broken at Calvary. So I'm very hesitant myself about some of the counseling sessions about trying to find a curse. Uh, I, I, I say handle it gently, carefully, and uh, because when we, when we really trace generational curse, it go back to Adam and Eve because they brought a curse on the earth and the whole human race through sin. So there may be some cases, so I'm not knocking it all together. So I'd just like to handle it carefully and see, well, maybe the person needs to come to Christ where the curse can be broken. I mean, uh, no, as I testify in my own life, I say, I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation now. Whatever I was in the past, whatever my parents were, good, bad, or indifferent, I found out that I had a sister who's never come to Christ and doesn't care about Christ. Happy for me to be happy in religion, you know. Uh, yeah, so um, I'd be a bit cautious on that. God visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation only apply to the Israelites in the wilderness, he said. Do you mean we don't have to ask God for forgiveness for our father's sin? I'd say on that, no, because I can't. I can't pray for my father and mother now who have gone, I believe. But they're individually responsible and individually accountable to the Lord. I cannot be accountable for them, whatever they did. If I was born in sin, which apparently I was, I can't, I can't do anything about that. I am in Christ. I'm a new creation. So, yeah. So one passed down to us. Okay, uh, like we read in Ezekiel, this uh, grandson, he learned from his father's mistakes. I'm not going to go that way. So when I've looked at other men and women say, I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to serve the Lord. I made that decision when I accepted Christ. People doing deliverance at times want to trace back to the past. Yeah, so uh, find what might, might, might be a curse. Uh, when I've done people individually, I just check up, you know, have they been involved in witchcraft? Then that needs to be broken. If they've been involved in Masonic lodges, that may need to be broken. But you can do that. So I have no problem on that. Um, yeah, I hope that sort of helps that. Uh, the believer did not bear the iniquities of their forefathers. Does that mean unbelievers are still under the curse? The thing is, outside of Christ, all of us are under a curse. The curse of sin and death. Once we come to Christ, we come into a place of blessing to be a blessing. Yes, so that's how I am. According to Ezekiel, does generation curse still exist? I think I've sort of answered that. None of the righteous things. How is Ezekiel 18 to be read with Hebrews 6? Uh, if a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits sin, none of his righteous things will be remembered. Uh, even though thus we speak, Hebrews now, uh, like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work uh, and the love you have shown. He's talking to believers here. He's not talking to unbelievers uh, as you have helped these people and continue. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. So he's not, to, not talking to unbelievers here. He's not talking to wicked people. He's talking to saints and encouraging them 
to keep diligent right through to the end. That's how I understand that. Okay, now, uh, two or three on the, on the temple here. Um, oh, well, this one. Where is the picture of the rapture? According to the chart on page 23 of our notes. Uh, what was that? <laughs> um, I'll just have to say briefly, uh, I, I used to believe in a secret rapture that Jesus could come any moment. I remember all these street meetings I used to preach at, play the piano accordion, and I would tell the people, if we're not here next Sunday, the rapture's taking place, the Antichrist is going to get hold of you and he's going to stand six, 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 six all over you. <laughs> and so we didn't turn up for a couple of weeks, and that was 60 years ago, <laughs> and neither is Jesus. So I, I, I'm not rapturing the rapture, okay? I, I believe in the rapture at the second coming of the Lord, but not a sneaky one. There's still souls to be saved. And for some people, to me, the rapture is a, 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 an escape. Oh, Jesus, come any moment, get us out, let the world go to hell. Hey, there's still a lot of souls to be saved. So don't let the rapture, whatever it is or whenever, I just want to be ready any time. Uh, but don't let it be a selfish thing. Get me out of it, let the world go to hell. Let's save souls as long as we can. Uh, if the Ark of the Covenant is last mentioned in Jeremiah, why is it found mentioned by John in Revelation 11:19? What's the significance of the Ark in this passage? Thank you for such intelli intelligent question. Let's look at the verse. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. Only mention, only one mention of the Ark in the book here, but Revelation 11:19, and it says. I want you to say a couple of words with me. And the temple of God was opened where? In heaven. In heaven. So it's not an earthly temple. It's the original. It's the archotype. All the temples and tabernacles on earth were a shadow of the temple, the tabernacle in heaven. So Moses is doing according to the shadow. David and Solomon are building according to the shadow. The real thing is up there. Then it says, and there was seen in his temple, the heavenly temple, the ark of his testament, the real ark, the very throne of God. So all the things that happened in Moses' tabernacle and, and te uh, temple of Solomon are shadows on earth of the real thing. Moses and John, they're seeing the real thing. So it's not on earth. Okay. Um, both of these questions the same. Agree, with a, uh, agree that a material temple is not intended, but then... Why were there so many details of the temple given in Ezekiel 40 through to 48? Why did God give Ezekiel the vision of the temple? Or was the purpose of the vision, what was the purpose of this vision if it was not going to be built? Okay, whoever answered those questions, both good questions, I think you need to really consider, is God going to go back to a material temple? I'd recommend that you read uh, Sidlow Baxter's book, uh, on it, on the thing, and then what I've done on the covenantal promises, that's the big problem. Uh, is God going to backslide? Uh, why got so many chapters? You tell me. <laughs> I don't know. But there are lots of spiritual lessons. So what I did in, uh, in Temple of Solomon, I did a lot of the spiritual lessons that are in the thing, like uh, I'm sure a lot of us have heard about the Valley of Dry Bones. There's some good lessons in there for the body of Christ application, uh, uh, this triangle I use in hermeneutics, observation, what does the Bible say, 
interpretation, what does the Bible mean, application, how does it apply to us or can it? So observation, interpretation, application. Many preachers go into application without proper interpretation and proper observation. So it must be that triangle, one, two, three, like that. So uh, in the book I've done on Temple of Solomon, I've put down lots of spiritual lessons like, uh, there's too many to say here, but what about the river of God? Like when Jesus said in the last day of the feast, not the feast of Passover, not the feast of uh, Pentecost, feast of tabernacles, uh, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water as the scripture said. Well, there's nowhere, no scripture that says that. Only in Ezekiel's vision. So there's many spiritual lessons. And then the temple of God. And then one of the big things in the temple there is that um, uh, the man with the measuring line, he measures everything. And so we are to come to the measure of the fullness of Christ. And we're not to measure ourselves by one another. Uh, so there's lots of spiritual lessons. So in the Temple of Solomon, I'll put a bit down about 15 spiritual lessons that we can draw from the vision. And, and, and you've got to put yourself back in Ezekiel's uh, place. He was a priest. He should have been ministering in the Temple of Solomon. Uh, temple of Solomon. Temple's destroyed. And so as a priest... Uh, he's called to the prophetic office. Everything's, mostly his book is a book of visions, not necessarily reality. But the things that, uh, in my mind, disprove the reality of it is the covenantal thing particularly, and the geographical thing is pretty tough. So apart from that, I don't know anything beyond that. If anybody gets any revelation, send them to me. My, my email number is 666. Okay, uh, this one, a couple more, and then we're done. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, does First John 1, 9 refer to salvation prayer or 2 to ask believers to keep confessing our sins so as not to lose fellowship with the Father? Anger, murmur, gluttony, uh, covetousness, omitting to walk in love of all sins uh, and I am not perfected in Christ yet, neither am I. How does this reconcile to Paul's teaching that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Very good questions. This is where I, I do. As I, as I understand it, so, so I'm not perfect, but as I understand it, the word sin is used for the principle of sin the law of sin. That's not yet eradicated. I wish it was. Uh, I'd rather, so when we get somebody to Christ, I'd rather baptize them and hold them under. <laughs> You'd never have any backsliders. They'd wake up in heaven. It'd be wonderful. See? <laughs> Don't you do it now and blame me. Okay, guilt and blame. Okay, so I think the word sin is often used as the principle of sin. So the law of sin is not eradicated from it. Sins are the outcome of the principle of sin, plural, used in that. So I believe that uh, it, it can be used in salvation prayer if we confess our sins. It can be used in salvation prayer. It's also, I mean, this is, this is my daily habit because I, I know I'm not perfect in that. And, uh, you know, whether we... Sin in thought, word, or deed. 
those three things. Every morning and every evening before I go to sleep, when I wake up and have my time of prayer, I ask the Lord, cleanse me in the blood of Jesus from everything where I may have grieved you in any way, in thought, word or deed. So I keep my cleansing daily. And, and you see, until I'm perfected, until the root of sin is taken out of me, I need daily cleansing. And uh, there's a whole sermon, it's a whole hour. But in the Old Covenant, when they uh, had the ministry in the Tabernacle of David, there was the daily sacrifice. There was the daily shedding of the blood. So for me, spiritually, I ask the blood of Jesus to cleanse me daily. Before I go to sleep at night, my wife and I uh, read the scripture and pray and say, Lord, just cleanse me from anything I may have done today that may have grieved you in thought, word or deed. Uh, so I always need the cleansing blood. So that's my attitude on that. So anger or gluttony, I don't think I'm guilty on that. I haven't got the, I'm not an archbishop. I say, this is north, this is south, this is the Middle East. I'm watching it. I'm watching it. Do I'm watching it doesn't spread. Okay, uh, walking in love. Yeah. So um, I am the righteousness of God in Him, but you see, on this part here, uh, there there is what we call theologically imputed righteousness, and then outworked righteousness. So God imputes the righteousness of Christ to us, and God sees us righteous in Christ. But what is imputed now has to be outworked. So it's imputed theologically, experientially, but experientially I have to work that out. Uh, Paul puts it this way, uh, to balance out Paul here. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but don't stop there. What's the next verse? Because the next verse is the key to this verse. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. So I, as God works in, I can work out as God works in. So, balance between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Okay, a couple more here. Uh, according to Ezekiel 8, the abominations of every sort, could it be considered, ha ha ha, glory, hallelujah, uh, keeping of Easter, Christmas, Halloween, and other pagan festivals uh, as abominations in God's sight. <laughs> Who loves Easter eggs? <laughs> Who loves Christmas presents? <laughs> Who keeps Halloween? <laughs> they are all pagan festivals. And they all came into the Protestant churches through Romanism. So I don't keep Easter. It's a pagan festival. It, Easter is the worship of the Queen of Heaven. And then in Melbourne, we had a lot of the spiritus, spirit, spiritists up in the mountains write an article and say, would the Christians give back to us our Easter festival? They stole it and put it in the church. Hey, it's a pagan festival. came from Romanism. We still have a lot of Protestant form of Romanism in us. Easter, Christmas, I love plum pudding when it's got money in it. And Halloween, it's witchcraft. How that got in the church, I don't know. Anyway, they are abominations. Thank you, Kevin, for that good point. <laughs> Keep sending me a Christmas present. <laughs> no, I, I, I've taught my kids the truth. What they do now is on to them. I told them, this is not from Father Christmas. He didn't come down the chimney. This is from Dad. I paid for it. <laughs> 
tell them the truth. But, but don't take the knife out of their hand unless you give them the ball. So we never took things out of our kids' hand. We told them the truth, but we always gave them something. So this is for mum and dad. This is a family day. Okay? So there's more ways of choking a cat than with butter. A uh, couple more, we're just about done. As I'm done, I'm overdone. As for the, <laughs> as for the seven years clean, of cleansing the city of Jerusalem, is it considered World War III? Uh, it could be, it could, but I think it's the next confrontation coming up in the Middle East. And during the onslaught from the north, Gog and Magog against Jerusalem, does it occur during or before the millennial reign? I think it de occurs before the second coming of Christ. Uh, my millennium is a millennium of peace. The devil's bound for a thousand years and he's the author of sin and war and everything. Uh, a couple more and then we're done. Hallelujah. Are the Chinese from the descendants of Japheth in the Bible? <laughs> if Japheth is known as the father of the whites, Caucasian, Europe, and Ham is known as the father of black, Blacks, Africa, and Shem, the father of the Jews and Arabs, those in the Middle East, said, what about us, the yellow skin? <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes, I believe that uh, the Chinese are from Japheth. And uh, I remember, you know, somebody telling me this, that, uh, you know, when God made man, he put him in the oven, yeah. <laughs> and he turned out too white. And so God thought, I'll try again. So he put another man in the oven. He turned out all black. And <laughs> he thought, no good. I'll try one more time. And he put him in and he just turned out yellow. <laughs> and because of that, that's why there's so many of you. <laughs> Do you like that? Do you feel good now? <laughs> hey, I read the book, How to Win Jews and Influence Chinese in Six Easy Lessons. Okay, um, oh, two more here and then we're done. <laughs> How do we pray for Israel? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. If the nations will be attacking Jerusalem and Israel's prophesied, what do we pray? Yes, uh, I, I think I told you this morning or somewhere, I have 19 nations I pray for morning and night, especially the persecuted nations. So I'm not going to go through the 19 of them, but I do pray for Israel, that God will visit them, open their eyes, give them an outpouring of the Spirit, and the pressure that's happening in Jerusalem and the Middle East, I think God's trying to get their attention. So I do pray, and I pray for India, I pray for Rousseau, some of the nations where uh, Christians are being slaughtered, and some of the, uh, yeah, the other nations I don't need to mention. Okay, so that's, uh, that's how I pray, that God will pour out his spirit on them, open their eyes on Israel, so we can do that. Okay, uh, first for, uh, don't write in tongues, it's like, like me. Uh, just for, oh, just, just for clarification, in your explanation, backslider versus apostate, do you mean that one is only an apostate if he dies? And if he's not dead, he's a backslider. Uh, yeah, I, I would say once an apostate, and only God knows, I never like to say that because some people said, oh, you've committed the unpardonable sin. The very fact that you worry about proves you haven't. But if an apostate dies like Judas and King Saul, that's it. But while a backslider is still alive, uh, there's always hope. But I wouldn't like to be on his ground because backsliding can 
can lead to apostasy. So uh, that's why uh, Jeremiah, he uses the word backsliding more than the whole book in the Bible, always pleading with the backslider, oh backslider, return to the Lord. So they're on dangerous ground and I believe we need to go after the backslider and have them return to the Lord. Okay, a final question here. Thank you, Father. Can you tell the young teenagers, how many young teenagers here? I'm so jealous of you <laughs> as an old man. How can we study the Word of God? Maybe the method you use. Uh, I'd say come to Key Knowledge Seminar, which we may, we are praying about doing next year. Otherwise, this is what I say. I say, I said to somebody here, uh, read the Bible, read the Word. Now, uh, a whole hour's message to do it properly and say, um, I don't understand the Bible. This is my punchline. If you wait to understand the Bible before you read it, you'll never read it. My punchline is reading precedes understanding. When I was in the Air Force, 18 years of age, I read the Bible from cover to cover. I didn't understand the thing I was reading. But God has ministries in the church to help you understand. I hope we've been able to do that this weekend. So I say, first of all, read the word and read it with an attitude. This is, I still do this at my age, 83. I say, Holy Spirit, you inspired this word. I'm going to study it. Help me to understand it. And uh, sometimes when I'm studying, and this is my gifting, of course, sometimes I'm studying something, uh, thoughts are coming to me that fast, and I say, Holy Spirit, slow down, you're talking too fast, I can't write fast enough. <laughs> and see, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll take up the things of mine and show it to you. So depend upon the Holy Spirit. So young Tina, I say, read the word, brainwash yourself with the word, and you'll have... Uh, uh, people in the church are going to help you understand. But the Holy Spirit can only help you understand what word you've got in you. If you don't have the word in you, what's you got to work on? Because the Spirit and the word agree. All right. The final, final, final one I just said. Deuteronomy, no, Daniel 11:31. Uh, place there the abomination of desolation. What does it mean? Um, uh, hard one to answer, but I'll say it this way. I, I've gone through the Bible on the different abominations, but the ultimate abomination, which I understand this one to be, is that when the Antichrist sets himself up as the, in the temple of God to be worshipped as God, that is the ultimate abomination. There are plenty of others that we listed, uh, we did some of them the other day. Okay, thank you, Father. Press the button, I'm going. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed today's teaching. Visit kevinconnor.org for more information.